Hey, Fabio. Hey, Adam. Good to meet you. Yeah. What was your first computer? Oh, my first computer. Uh, interesting question. Um, I guess I used my mom's computer to program Lego Mindstorms. Oh. That was the first computer that I that I used, yeah. Okay. That's interesting. So the NX, NXT or the newer one? So in... I think the very first one. I forgot what they're called. Like the really old one. Okay. Um, and I really like this block-based programming environment. That was that was so much fun to build this robot that follows a black line. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So you, this was the very first Mightstorm, right? Yeah, I think so, yes. Then I think it was around 2005, six something like this, right? Yeah, maybe. Maybe something like that. Yeah. Yep. And, and you started programming? Or you just wanted, you know, to play games or... Well, no, I um, really never was a big fan of programming uh, of, of games. I always wanted, I always got curious how they work. So I always wanted to build my own games. Never really wanted to play them. Um, and then, yeah, I was excited about uh, the internet, building websites and stuff that got me hooked too. And um, yeah, in two thousand eight, I uh, I participated in in a, in, in this course for uh, for school uh, for students uh, where we learned how to program in Java. So that got me introduced to Java, and then at university I got introduced to Python, and uh, yeah, now I'm I'm polyglot, I guess. Oh, what was your re uh, reaction to Python if you already knew Java? Uh well, I really really liked it. Um, well, I at this time I thought, yeah, Java is like one of your like your first car, like it it drives drives really well, but doesn't look so good, right? Mm -hmm. And that was Java, I don't know, um, one something, one four, something like that. I don't know, I can't remember. Uh, but Python uh, was very different. Um, and I liked not having to think about types all the time and instead, uh, yeah, run into runtime errors and stuff like that. And the, the tutor at university was just phenomenal. Uh, he, was, he, was, he was a great teacher. Uh, so that was... That was uh, Quite an experience and left quite the impression on me. Mm -hmm. And how you learned Java? I mean, you know, how you started and why Java? I mean, you started with Logo, no Logo, Lego, not Logo. Lego, Lego yeah. Uh, Lego Maestro, the block language. And I think there was even Java binding back then. So they all, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, we used Java in school. There's this uh, awful library. Uh, well, I find it awful, but it was great for teaching, I suppose, uh, which is called uh, Stifte and Mäuse. So this is German. It means oh. uh, uh, pencils and mice, if you will. And it abstracts away like most of the AWT swing stuff and allows you to, to do things like uh, create a new pencil and tell the pencil to draw something on this canvas and stuff. So that's the that was the level on, of uh, Java that I was introduced with. And uh, yeah, I never really built like a really large Java application at that time. Okay. Um, and your motivation was the school, right? The Stift and uh, Mäuse thing. It's not like you wanted to learn Java because you had to wanted to achieve something? No, no, no. This was for, purely for school. We got introduced okay. to, to some basic algorithms and stuff. We used uh, BlueJ as uh, exactly, IDE. Exactly, means. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Interesting. Interesting that you did it at school back then. So what um, I remember, Lee, Lee Jaws, L-E-J-O-S. This was this Lego Java operating system. 
this is what I wanted to try out whenever I had time. So this was the you know, the block language, and I knew back then that uh, Ligo also, this Mindstorm, supports Java. So I think this could be fun, you know, to control the Ligos with Java. Okay, so you had to learn Java, and you wanted to learn yes. Python. This is actually uh, the outcome, right? Uh, well, I had to learn Python too, and it was mandatory for the, for the course, but mm -hmm. I enjoyed that a bit more, I would say, yes. I can imagine why, because um, it's simpler, right? So you can achieve more in less time. You know, with Maybe. Python, you can just start, you know, write a function and you are basically done. And uh, in Java, there you need something, you know, you need at least a little bit Maven or you need some environment. Uh, and in Python, you can just write code, right? Yeah, well, the first thing that they tell you is like how to set up a big IDE. Uh, and whereas in Java, uh, whereas in Python, you can just uh, create a simple file and whatever editor you want and, and run it without having to compile it first and then run it and worry about your class path or your module path and things like that, right? So, so what was your first interesting program you wrote? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, or not even interesting. So well, somehow... I, well I, I, I built this extension in, in PHP, actually. So I did also some backend development at the time when I started building websites. And then there was this content management system. I think it's called PHP Fusion. But this goes like, uh, really, yeah, it's pretty old, I guess. Maybe it's still around. I built this extension for PHP Fusion for um, for sport clubs that let you like showcase your your teams and uh, your mm -hmm. players. And um, I'm playing basketball myself, so I built this for mm -hmm. my for my sport club. And then eventually, other people got interested, and then it turned into a small business. So I like founded a company. And, and sold that extension to more than a thousand people, I think. So that was like my first interesting program, I think, that I that I built. And was uh, commercially successful. I guess so. Yes, I guess. Yeah, that's actually unusual, right? I mean, that you you know Java, Python, then PHP extension, and selling right away. So this actually. Yeah. One, one, it, yeah, I don't think this is like very usual. I was just very curious at the time and really wanted to see what's happening, what's what's working. And at the time, PHP was the way to go about, uh, 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 yeah, content management systems. And yeah, that, that got me hooked. Uh, ooh, maybe also around like 2008, 9, 10, something okay. like that. Because interesting, because back then I, I did, even right now I do know Java all the time. And and back then in my project there was basically no PHP. So interesting that you said you know this was the way to go. Yeah. So, so. Well, I must say I haven't used PHP ever since I got into university, and I don't miss it. I really don't miss it. Um, and uh, well, now that well over the time at university, I I continue to learn more languages that are even older than PHP. Right, so uh, like Smalltalk is one of the things that uh, I'm really passionate about uh, today, and uh, that that uh, yeah goes back uh, much longer, I'd say, and has influenced many other languages. Smalltalk, you th you say? Yes. Yeah. Interesting. This is a recurring theme, and um, I had the pleasure to work with uh, Smalltalk developers, and uh, mm -hmm. it was interesting experience because it was prior to 2008. I'm pretty sure. So there were no lambdas in Java's, and you know the what Smalltalk developers really enjoyed back then is was uh, blocks. Block they they always yes. yeah they always you know ask me how to do blocks in Java. It's like why you need blocks, and and then I, I um back then I think you could achieve something similar with inner classes. So mm -hmm. uh, I showed them the inner classes, and what they immediately did, which was interesting, they had like 
metaprogramming inheritance. So they had, you know, inner class, which inherits from another inner class within that object. So you had an object hierarchy, and inside the object, there was an inner class uh, inheritance, and they, they were they were then really happy with it. And I said, okay, this is a strange for a Java developer, but if you're happy, go, go with it, right? But uh, it was an interesting system because uh, the Smalltalk developers, they, they really hated, you know, uh, the unnecessary abstractions and layers, you know, and procedural stuff. Yes. So the, uh, there was a, a few classes, uh, nice classes, um, and, uh, and it was actually a very complex system, but it looked simple. So I really enjoyed the project, actually. Yeah, well, I got introduced at uh, Hasso Plattner Institute, which... Uh, has ah. two mandatory um, yeah, bachelor um, lectures in the bachelor program uh, where you have to use Smalltalk. It's, it's great because you, well, everyone starts from scratch. Sometimes there are people that, have, that are familiar with C++ or Python and then they have to build a game, um, but then they are much more proficient in that language. So we make students, or when I say we, because I was part of that uh, research group then eventually, um, we made students, um, or still make students, uh, use Smalltalk and, and build a game and then build uh, some other tool uh, in, in the uh, software architecture and software engineering lectures as part of the bachelor program. And uh, yeah, that completely blew my mind that there there's such a thing that has not just a language, but also a whole programming system. And you can change whatever you want in the system. You're the, this is like personal computing at its, at its best. And uh, I found that really interesting. And then eventually I had the idea that maybe we can bring some of this programming experience that I know from Smalltalk and enjoy to other languages, uh, which uh, started my master's thesis, um, where I built my own polyglot VM using R Python. That's the PyPy toolchain. So again, I was using Python underneath. And then built my own polyglot VM, built my own interoperability protocol. Well, actually, I just used the Smalltalk meta-object protocol. And then I had a Smalltalk um, programming system that could also do Python and Ruby. And then I realized this doesn't scale so well because I want more languages. And I also don't want to build everything on my own. And then I redid the whole experiment and, and moved to GraalVM. That got me hooked to GraalVM. And uh, here I am today. But actually, PyPy is similar to GraalVM, right? In some ways, in some ways it's not. So GraalVM and PyPy both have a language implementation framework. Uh, well, actually in PyPy, in this is called RPython. I guess it's for restricted Python. It's a subset of Python. It feels like you're writing Python with a C mindset. Oh, you, you can't really have different objects from well, different types in, a, in one list. And then there's this R typer thing that types all of your Python data structures and produces C code. And then you compile it with GCC and get a binary out of it. And the just-in-time compiler that you can get for free um, deploys uh, meta tracing, whereas in GraalVM, the just-in-time compiler that you get does uh, partial evaluation. So uh, these are conceptually different, um, but they're also possible to combine. So there's some research on that too. Mm -hmm. But uh, even with in the PyPy case, Python can be cross or compiled, or how to call it, cross compiled to native image, right? In the PyPy case, you mean to native image? You mean uh, in in GraalVM, we can translate the Graal Python interpreter with native image into a binary, so it doesn't yes, run on, but, on the but JVM Python anymore. as well, right? There's the same possibility with PyPy, right? There was a possibility with Python uh, with PyPy to create a native, how to call it? I know a native image or or or, or uh, execute 
Python without interpretation, or how to call it, JIT Python. Yeah, well, that I, I guess. Well, I, I've done this myself a bunch of times. Um, you can you can um, use the R Python toolchain to produce yeah, um, binaries exactly. out of Python out of Python code. Yeah, and so how to this, call it? Uh, so what, what 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 is the right name for it? Because uh, in Java it would be native image or or JIT maybe or, or how to call it? Uh, I, I'd say it's the R Python toolchain. Oh, just toolchain. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, it's, part uh, of the pipe, it's part of the PyPy project. But if you pick an interpreted language and you create uh, an, an executable image without interpretation, how the mm -hmm. process is called? Transpilation? Uh, well, tra transpil that's, a, that's, that's a tricky one. Um, well, um, transpilation is if you're transpiling from one to another language, right? And yeah. you could say that um, yeah, machine code is also some other language. So how you would um, call it? Because I always wonder. Because no, if I say okay, we with GraalVM, I just say and we create native image. Fine. I mean, but this is not this is not the name of the process. Yeah, I guess it depends on the use case, right? I would call in the native image context. I certainly would call it AOT compilation. I would okay. AOT compile yeah. your application okay. as opposed to uh, compile it at runtime. Um, but yeah, interpreted versus compiled languages is really an, an implementation detail of the language implementation, right? You can you can interpret um, C, right, and you can mm -hmm. uh, um, you can um, run uh, uh, well, you can compile Java to to native image, for instance, right? So yeah, you can mix it, those yeah. execution modes if you want. Yeah, and, and you you are aware of Bin Shell? Bin Shell, no. Bin Shell, I think uh, was uh, it was uh, interpreted Java. So you could load, you know, Java to a database and load it. Um, you could use Java for configuration purposes or scripting and stuff like that. Okay, interesting. Well, in Truffle we have Truffle on well Java in Truffle, which espresso, we right? also call Espresso. Yes, internally, yes, Espresso. Yeah. Uh, so it was too interesting, you know, your master thesis. Uh, you build your own VM. I mean, how hard is it? Well, technically, I I was building on stuff that other people have already built. And there's this uh, research on uh, interpreter composition, so composing different interpreters by uh, Laurie Trutt and his group um, in at uh, King's College, and um, that 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 was the missing part that enabled all of this. So the the idea that I could combine multiple interpreters within the same VM, which is essentially what GraalVM can do too. And uh, so the only problem was that R Python is not was not designed or is still not designed for a poly for being polyglot. Well, it's mm -hmm. designed to be the language implementation framework for PyPy. And there are some other projects like um, uh, Topaz, which is a Ruby implementation in RPython. It's uh, not actively maintained anymore, I guess. Um, and there's also R Squeak, which is a Squeak Smalltalk implementation in R that is maintained in our research group uh, at HPI, uh, the research group I was involved with at HPI. Um, and um, yeah, so I, I took R Squeak, uh, PyPy, and Topaz and combined these interpreters in one. And I had to come up with an execution model. So how do I schedule these interpreters? And uh, I decided to use the Smalltalk scheduler to do this. So every time you execute Python code, for instance, you spawn a new Smalltalk, Python, uh, Smalltalk process that represents this Python execution. And it will execute some number of 
Python bytecodes and then yield back to Smalltalk. And the same happens for Ruby as well. So Smalltalk is completely under control of like other languages being executed. That's my ex that's the execution model that I decided I'd go for. In uh, in in um, GraalVM, uh, Java uh, determines the execution model, right? So Java says what to run next. Essentially, but because I was under control, yeah, but it does, in GraalVM it doesn't have to be that way, right? You you can start with another language, so you can say now the hosted language is C. It could also work to my well. The right? the st the start language, if you want, but the host language is Java, right? In, okay, in you're Java right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, there's no host language in R Python necessarily. There, okay. it's all it's all transpiled to C and then compiled mm -hmm. into a binary. Yeah. Um, and that allowed me that allowed me to build a debugger, so or not to build a debugger, but to adapt the Smalltalk debugger, so I can step from Smalltalk code directly into like Python code, and even do like edit and continue style debugging in Python, which you usually can't, right? Which is also possible in Gradle. What, what interests me, your your, yes. your thesis, um, how to imagine this? You've wrote a shell script glue code. You you've wrote low level C. You you checked everything out and tried to compile it. So what was how how you tackle the problem so how you approach mm -hmm. it and i think so you check yeah. the uh, all the code bases and try to compile it first so it's interesting you know the the process yeah yeah the the process was actually quite simple so i we did a we have this concept of a master's project at hpi um which uh, every master student has to participate in and in the project that i did we experimented with combining uh Ask week or the Smalltalk implementation in R Python uh, with uh, a, a SQL hybrid implementation. So you can do like Smalltalk and and MySQL, for instance, or some SQL, um, uh, well SQLite actually. And um, uh, and the the whole purpose of this was to experiment with just-in-time compilation and to see whether we can optimize across these languages, right? Um, if you will, SQL is just a data language, so this is already polyglot. So because I saw this was possible, I thought maybe we can do this with another programming language. And the way we did this was with an VM-level um, plugin. So essentially, I extended AskWeek with an, a Smalltalk VM plugin. So the AskWeek is a Smalltalk VM, and Smalltalk VM support these plugins. And I added support for Python and the Ruby plugin, and the Python and the and and, and the Ruby plugin they actually know how to spawn a new interpreter loop from uh, PyPy or from Topaz. So that's, mm -hmm. that's how it works. Yes. And when you compile this, and that was actually quite funny. Um, well, AskWeek to compile takes like 15 minutes on my okay. machine back then. And compiling PyPy takes like an hour. And Topaz was maybe 10 minutes. So compiling all of this would actually take one and a half hours and even more. So this was a really bad turnaround. And that caused some frustration as well. Especially when you have to debug something like a segfold and you have to rebuild everything. So it's something like this doable for... I would say how to call it um, a mid-range programmer, maybe you know someone who understands the concept but is not like you know deep into programming. Because I still don't understand how much you have to know how everything works. You know, to, 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 yeah. So I, me, I guess when crazy I, what you did, you know, or yeah, how, when how, I, when... how much time did you spend with that? So it's like you know full-time job, or you you spend you know. Uh, nights just thinking about this, or what is the process of that? Yeah, I, I guess I I did all of this in like maybe six or eight months, um, mm -hmm. but I not without the help of others, right? I mean, I of course I did the implementation myself, 
But when I started in my master's and I took the first um, seminar on virtual machines at uh, HPI, I, I was a completely noob. And I, uh, we actually, that got me introduced to Guardian. We worked on Truffle Ruby and did an implementation, uh, well, a new optimization for Truffle Ruby back then with uh, Chris Seaton. And uh, it completely blew my mind because I didn't understand what was going on. Like I saw that this benchmark runs in the first 10 iterations really, really slow and then gets... In, in, insanely fast and I was like this it doesn't make I, I don't understand how all of this works so and again you remember I, I said I was curious about like how does Lego Minecraft um, um, Lego um, Mindstorms work and all these things right and Python and how do I build backends so I was like I want to understand how this works so um, yeah at that time I don't even think things like native image were uh, public uh, and Gravium uh, was somewhat open source, uh, but not not all of it. So, and of course, there was no Smalltalk implementation. So, I uh, we the VM lecture that I took was um, uh, well, I worked on on this Ask Week VM as part of a student project there, and that introduced me to to a bunch of concepts like polymorphic inline caches and all these basic VM stuff. Uh, but then I also saw how to implement languages, how to build an interpreter loop, uh, how uh, Smalltalk works, how block closures work, how how, how they are activated and stuff. And um, then eventually, yeah, I did this this experiment, and uh, yeah, it, it turned out better than than we initially thought. Uh, and then yeah, the an obvious thing was to bring the whole experience to Gravium, and that uh, yeah, it let me well build Truffle Squeak, which is now my, uh, yeah, the, the small talk implementation that I primarily built uh, in, in Truffle. Okay. Um, how were you grades at school? Uh, I guess I, um, yeah, I, I did a little bit above average, let's say. Yeah, it was, I'm, I, I think I, uh, I, I did put a bit more work into than average um, and I got something good out of it too. Okay, so uh, this, this was uh, this is my question. So you you actually had to learn at school, right? So it's not yes, like... but but the the thing is, if it's something that you really want to learn, then it's really really easy. Uh, exactly. And, uh, of course, when when I was younger, I was like, okay, uh, I forgot about the time, and then all of a sudden it was ten p.m. and I was like, okay, maybe I should go home now. Uh, but um, yeah, this this has changed there. But um, yeah, if, if I I do remember we had this other these other lectures that are that were mandatory as part of my bachelor's that I did, that I didn't enjoy as much, and that was painful uh, because I still needed to learn something, but it wasn't something that I was interested in. Whereas with VMs, I was like, this is this is so cool, this is so much fun, uh, and I got so much support from so many people, and they were like, hey, can you try this, can you do that? And uh, and when I had a problem, I was like, can someone help me? And they were like, yeah, sure, this is how you do it. And yeah, that was easier than I thought. Okay, that's fine. So so you are uh, good at school because you invest some time, right? So this was the entire yes. and you you okay, this is no because I thought you know it's all interesting if someone you know does something which is uh, incredible. I always ask myself is it just work, luck or maybe you know talent and 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 what I see more and more actually at the end of the day is work. Whatever you you do, you know, you have actually to spend time with Yes. With the stuff, yes. otherwise you will never become good. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure how much you know about the Hasso Plattner Institute, but the students there are generally really, really motivated and, and great, and, and they turn out to be great engineers in the end. Is it in Waldorf? Uh, 
No, it's it's not in Waldorf. It's actually in Potsdam. So Hasso okay. um, uh, Plattner uh, lives in well has a has a house in Potsdam too. And uh, yeah, uh, he really likes the city. Initially, thought maybe well he wants to support education. Uh, so maybe he can build some something like the Hasso Plattner University. And then he realized there's already a university, really big university in Potsdam. And then he built an institute that belongs to the university. And I think four or five years ago, uh, HBI turned into a, a whole faculty. So not even just one okay. uh, track, but now they're running four, maybe even five tracks today. Yeah. So I was at SAP, I think, in around 2003, but just to deliver some courses to teach the... Um let's call the language ABAP developers ABAP, Java. Yes. ABAP yeah. yeah and I met some um, uh, some uh, skilled developers um, who actually implemented the uh, SAP VM for ABAP back then oh cool. and some of nice. them worked I think with Hasso Plattner even so as to, to my to my knowledge Hasso Plattner started with the implementation of the ABAP VM in a garage uh, th this is mm -hmm. what, what what the and and it is interesting you know that uh, yeah yeah well, he has his own research chair or research group, and I think in this group they experimented with one of the first prototypes that turned into HANA. Eventually. Ah, okay. The yeah. NoSQL database. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so now the question. Uh, so, um, okay, so uh, default was, you know, uh, Minecraft, no Minecraft, uh, Mindstorms. This is how Mindstorms, what, uh, yes. Yeah, this is, this is the problem, right? You, and then from then everything was fun and yet to, to understand how everything is working. How how you found GraalVM? Um, yeah, well, great. Otherwise, I wouldn't uh, still working with it, right? I mean, but how? Um, I mean, because you spent time on oh, the how I how, how I discovered it. Yeah. Um, well, I guess in well, GraalVM is still very much uh, not only a product but also a research project, and uh, there's there's no way you 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 don't see a GraalVM engineer at one of these VM conferences. Um, they are also organizing some of the workshops. There was a, a truffle workshop at the European Conference for Object-Oriented Programming, ECUB, in Berlin earlier this year. And um, yeah, they're, they're very, very active. So there's also uh, yeah other uh, communities, uh, like uh, Facebook is working on on, on some Python uh, optimizations and uh, there's there's JavaScript core from from Apple so like uh, there's a the, the research community is quite big uh, but the people they know each other really really well and um, yeah that's uh, yeah that's how I was int introduced to Gravium and, and like saw how things work okay because I think similar forest is also in .NET land right so we could also do some similar stuff in .NET Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, well, it's not focusing on this polyglot aspect anymore. They do have something like a native image equivalent now, I think. Yeah. But I haven't had the time to really, really look into it that much. Yeah. Okay. So so uh, when, when was it with GraalVM? Oh, good question. Um, well, when, when did I start it with my master? Um, maybe six, seven years ago. Okay. And now you're working full-time on GraalVM. Yes, I'm part of the GraalVM team. Uh, working on everything that has to do with tools, the programming languages, and uh, generally trying to improve the developer experience. Um, uh, I would consider myself a tools person, uh, and uh, yeah, I I think uh, we've we've made great progress in the uh, in the recent releases, uh, with especially with the new one too. And there's there's definitely more to come. So um, yeah, I'm super excited to to be part of the project. It's also really really rare. I mean. 
I not only did my master's, but also did a PhD afterwards, right? And so very yeah, what, what is the topic that, of your PhD then? Then I'm well, the, the, well, I, I said truffle squeak, right? That that was my PhD project, okay. more or less. Okay. Um, um, so the the idea is to uh, yeah use this uh, well the idea of a self-sustaining programming system on top of a uh, polyglot VM and then um, yeah things are really really close because you have what means self-sustaining system. what means self-sustaining that it ah is, it's uh, a yes um, right um, so self-sustaining means you it, it is written in itself and it can sustain itself. Ah. So like um, bootstrap itself, right? Yeah, it can bootstrap itself. They are self. Well, you could say that PyPy is also a self-sustaining system, like a like a compiler that you bootstrap. But a self-sustaining programming system like Smalltalk, or there's Lively Kernel, there's also Self, right, which uh, came out mm-hmm. of uh, uh, Smalltalk too. And uh, the, these allow you to develop from within. You can actually build a whole application in a debugger, and um, th- that makes them really, really productive. And uh, the and yeah, well, usually when you when you build tools like external dyna- tools based on dynamic runtime information, like a debugger, you have to go through some uh, tool interface like uh, JVMTI or uh, JWDP or uh, Gravium has uh, has the different tooling interfaces too, and they make for really poor exploration. Like if I want to explore a whole new idea, like some I want to explore. Uh, data structure that is somewhere in the compiler is like really hard to open that up. Um, it's not open for for good reasons, but if you want to just experiment and see what you can do with it, then uh, this is really bad for experimentation. So the idea was to bring a whole programming system on top of a polyglot VM and allowing with in- introspection to like look into compiler components, look into other languages, look into other language implementations, and explore what's what's possible within these systems. So uh, and that's that's what that that's exactly what my uh, PhD thesis was was about an exploratory tool building platform for polyglot virtual machines that's the that's the title of the thesis yeah i mean if you think about this right sometimes it is interesting because it's almost recursive right so you have to say okay where i am right now so you have you know to keep <laughs> in which <laughs> what is the focus because if you lose the focus everything is flexible it's just uh, possible yes. and it is more like a, almost like quantum physics in software yes. engineering right Yes, it it is it is very much like that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, meta meta serialarity on on different levels is can be very confusing. Yes. <laughs> okay, what you did in Gravium, so the last seven years, you also always did this with the tooling and and developer. In, uh, how to call it evangelism uh, or not evangelism? Well, I, what? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I I started last year in September um, okay. in the Gravium team, so I'm one of the uh, new, newer team members of the group. Um, well, I, I knew some of them before, most of them before, because I also served on the advisory board um, uh, as a yeah, representative of, I guess, Truffle Squeak and the academic community in some way. And um, yeah, so what I what I was trying to say a couple of minutes ago, but didn't get to it, was that it's, it's kind of rare that... Uh, after you're done with your PhD, you continue working on the same project. And it's actually great because I, I was productive from the very start, right? I, I didn't need big introduction to people. I didn't need to familiarize myself with the technology. And um, yeah, so uh, I, I guess one of, the, one of the things that I did with Thomas, Thomas Wittinger, was this um, yeah, uh, stream on Twitch um, on uh, you, how to use Truffle Squeak and what you can do with it. And uh, yeah, he played around with this uh, a lot. 
and that, that was a that was a lot of fun and then um yeah when when i joined he was like i i have an i have an idea for you a starter project um we uh, well i also wanted to look more into native image so he proposed that uh we we need to do something about the build output right the, what you see when you build a native executable using native image so that was my starter project and i like explored what our customers looking at, what I what our users most interested in, then designed this with the community, wrote an RFC that we put up on GitHub, and then implemented all of this. And this actually got merged in I think 22.0 or 22.1, I think 22.0. And um, so that was relatively quick. Um, but um, yeah, again, I was supported by a lot of people, and um, yeah, that's the type of thing that I that I like, and I think there's still some low hanging fruit within the Gradient project where yeah, customers have obvious questions, and we we need to provide better tools or, or the appropriate tools uh, to answer these. Like, wh why is my what's what's inside of my native executable, right? What Java uh, classes and objects ended up in, in this binary, for instance. Mm -hmm. uh, feedback to the output is uh, way better and not only everyone noticed that. Actually, everyone who uh, upgraded to the new CrowdVM, so I get a feedback, hey, now it's completely different, it's more useful, so a good job there. Yeah, um, thanks. And um, so I have a, because a CrowdVM is actually huge. So uh, yes. the Java developers, if, if, you, if you tell them CrowdVM, everyone only sees, you know, the native image. Mm-hmm. So for me, not that much. It has something with uh, cloud economics. So usually I use GraalVM for different purposes. For instance, what I did a lot, I integrated uh, JavaScript uh, with Java just mm -hmm. to have, you know, uh, because I needed some template uh, libraries, I was too, too lazy to implement with Java. So I just picked JavaScript and it just worked. I could, mm -hmm. impl um, uh, um, how to call it now, AOT it, right? <laughs> yes. But uh, I, I hadn't because um, it, it just interpreted was was, was uh, fast fast enough. Mm -hmm. And uh, now I'm also experimenting because um, I have actually uh, to uh, to call via, via JNI uh, some native code, and this this, this becomes interesting because uh, it seems like GraalVM has uh, several possibilities to do that. So um, one is this is uh, you could actually load C uh, like language or LLVM language, at least is my understanding, to GraalVM and treat it almost like JavaScript. So what I did with JavaScript, that you I could actually partially do the same with C. Yes. So yes. Yeah. Which is crazy already because um, I mean I had a lot of experience with JavaScript, right? So it just you know passed uh, Java parameters back and forth, and I started with C and it worked exactly the same way. I said, okay, this this is really uh, yeah. Sure. We call this yeah. We 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 call this embedding. So you embed and um, one of the Gradium languages into your Java application. Yeah. Yeah. Is, uh, What's not obvious then, and uh, how to pass parameters which are not primitive parameters, and uh, you. It starts with string, right? Because if you start with string, um, they look a little bit that there is like a C string, I think it's called. So you provide additional API, but this is where it is no more that obvious. I will do some investigation next time because uh, I would really like to, to 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 understand, you know, what's what's going on. What I also looked, what GNI is doing, is also interesting because this Java ships with uh, GNI.h, so they have the same problem. What they are doing. And they have the J string, which looks just like a data structure. Mm -hmm. And I know where, where is the problem because lies because in C there is no string, right? They have just uh, a character, right? So there has to be yeah. a, some part of transformation. But let's say, what is the strategy 
in the embedding case, I would like to call existing C library with some parameters. What I actually have to do, or what is the best practice or whatever, I think I understand I shouldn't pass it per reference because uh, this is where the you know, problems with garbage collector may start, so there should be per value. But I have to map the data structure somehow. What I saw, the, what always happens, struct, right? So you, you, you always start with a struct. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, first of all, I should say that, um, well, you, we already talked about all the things that I've done as part of my PhD and my master thesis and th so forth. And uh, one of the things that I, that I didn't look into that much is uh, composing uh, languages with uh, or Gradium languages with C and C++ on top of LLVM because you have an additional abstraction, uh, the LLVM IR, um, and that makes everything a bit more uh, problematic. So you can polyglot evaluate LLVM IR, but who writes that, right? You write C code and then you you compile that to LLVM IR and run it. And uh, yeah, I, I didn't look into that much. Um, so I, I don't actually really know how to do this particular task. And I would probably look at the Gravium docs and they, I'm sure they have an example. And if they don't file an issue and uh, we'll, we'll fix the docs. Yeah, um, okay. there is, there is, um, uh, some experimentation done by Kevin Minar, who uh, was now at Shopify, and he worked on, uh, well, he's working still on Truffle uh, Ruby, uh, and he wrote a blog post, very, very extensive blog post, how you can embed um, uh, Truffle languages on different levels uh, using mm -hmm. uh, JNI. So he, he, can, he can, I think, call out from a C or C++ application into Truffle Ruby native. So like AOT compiled Truffle mm -hmm. Ruby. So mm -hmm. um, maybe that's also an, of interest uh, to you, how, mm -hmm. how he does that, because he needs to pass non-primitive non objects across these boundaries. Mm -hmm. Because we get a nicer JNI integration in uh, Java 19. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, what I found similar you know concepts in gradvm that this is interesting and this already available and this embedding what what i meant is from java to c this is the most common part you know to 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 find alternatives to plain gni yes. because gradvm also supports gni so i could just use straight gni and this seems to be supported yeah there's even another one another thing uh, for native access which is the uh, native function interface and truffle truffle nfi which uh, Truffle languages underneath use to implement uh, foreign function interfaces, for instance. Oh, uh, how how this looks like. So what I, uh, you, you know it out. So what what to do to call it? Also, is this like a reflection function, like call this in C, or how, how this works? Or no, you can. It's a it's a meta language, um, an, an internal language. So you don't. You, it's not accessible via polyglot evaluate. Uh, but uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure um, you can find a way how to still use it. And it allows you, it has its own syntax. It allows you to load a shared library and then uh, create bindings and then okay. execute them using the interoperability interface. And then you don't need uh, LLVM or something in between. You're calling out a native code from within Truffle languages. And there's also another way, which is a little bit hidden, but uh, there is the uh, C API. I don't know mm -hmm. how to call it. There's the, uh, the it looks differently. So you can actually uh, load a shared library, which is was compiled with, huh? LLR no LLI is the interpreter uh, with uh, CLang. Could be, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I don't I don't know how many uh, ways there are to inter do interaction between Java and C, um, but uh, Gradium supports them all and even even more. <laughs> so uh, yeah, um, check check out the docs if you're missing something. Feel free to reach out. Uh, either on GitHub or on Slack, and I'm sure we'll help you.
Yeah, I would do it. I was just you know uh, curious or curious. What what I found is um, what I was aware with JavaScript that about the embedding, because this was the replacement of NAS one, right? What NAS one yes. did with the this was this what uh, GraalVM also does similarly. It's a very similar interface. And I was stunned that you can do the same with uh, C-like languages as well. Yeah. And then I started you know, to, to look, okay, this is interesting. And then I found more and more how you can embed, you know, um, and LLVM uh, languages. And what uh, is also interesting, I think, uh, I, I will just do it for fun. I think you could even call Swift because Swift is also yeah. Apple language. And this is LLVM. And Swift is open source. This is well integrated to Visual Studio Code. So um, it should be actually possible, you know, to invoke uh, some uh, Swift functions. I think uh, so. Yeah, I haven't seen anyone doing it, but I know uh, I've I've seen people doing this with Rust and Go, and that works too. So um, mm -hmm. yeah, so yeah, uh, check that out. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, so we're even using this. Yeah. We're even using this ourselves in Visual VM. Uh, Visual VM has this uh, heap uh, dump explorer. And you can you can type in some query language, but you can also use JavaScript to analyze your heap. And for that, we're using uh, GraalJS underneath. Ah, very good. So, um, what are you doing right now? So, uh, what what is your area of uh, how to call it of action in the of action. <laughs> in the huge huge Graal VM universe? Yeah, I'm guessing I'm I'm helping out with tools in general. So we have a tooling which team tools in, exactly. Yeah, we have a tooling team in in Prague, and uh, they have been working on this uh, GraalVM extension for uh, for Visual VM, um, and uh, that allows you to install GraalVM and use uh, Polyglot um, languages, um, debug across languages, and also do Java development. Um, we uh, have this GraalVM dashboard, and uh, yeah, we really need to move this uh, forward. Um, it's, uh, it could be uh, a lot better. So we're looking into ways how to like improve it. And that's for GraalVM native image. And uh, we have the, these uh, native build tools um, that we are, uh, well, these are plugins for Maven and Gradle that allow you to uh, use a native image. And now in including this new metadata repository that you might have seen in our release. Um, and so, so all I'm saying is that we have lots of different tools, including even starting with things as simple as how do I download Gradium? And um, mm -hmm. yeah, and it turns out with tools, uh, tools are always cross-cutting. So you, you need someone who like knows how to build tools, but you also need someone who knows what to build these tools for, right? Like native image. Um, and at the same time, tools are also very user-centered. So you need some sort of user feedback. You, you need to establish that. So that's why I'm also, I'm guessing, part of the DevRel team to to close that gap and to build this, this bridge uh, from users back into uh, our tooling teams um, to like find out what users really need. So one of the things that, again, low-hanging fruit, right? One of the things I realized was it, it's kind of hard to use GraalVM on GitHub Actions. So I fortunately had experience with building a GitHub action myself. So, um, and uh, yeah, so I, I decided or we decided that we need uh, yeah, set up GraalVM action that allows users to quickly build native images uh, on GitHub actions for free on, on GitHub, right? So we built that and that has been quite successful, I think. And it works very well. I didn't knew that you, you are, are again behind this thing. So I'm using it actually right now. Ah, and, cool. Uh, yeah, and uh, and uh, for Quarkus, and uh, we are AOTing <laughs> this Quarkus 
to uh, Linux, Mac, and Windows. Um, oh, cool. So you're targeting and, all and three supported platforms. Yeah, we have to. And um, and uh, Linux is not that uh, important, but we do it anyway. But it was really easy to set up, and it worked uh, right away. So nice. I saw the I saw the GitHub action, and I think okay, um, probably you know it it comes from Oracle. I I, I had some experience in in the past with uh, tooling. I say, um, I will build it by myself, but let's try because there's no um, what I usually do. I rent a, a larger machine, uh, EC2 or similar, and just run the uh, the um, Graal VM. And, and it's not that hard, and, and it just works right. And um, but it worked right away, so there was no excuse. And um, yeah, um, it was uh, perfect. So well, there's not yeah. much that this extension needs to do, right? It only needs to know how to download Gravium, and then sets up your Java in Gravium Home, and then maybe does some additional work uh, for setting up a Windows built environment, um, which is necessary on Windows. But that is pretty much it, right? There's a couple of more things this thing can do but it's relatively easy job and um yeah but it was a missing piece that lots of people am now using to build um yeah native executables on on github actions and um you may have seen in the in the new release that came out on tuesday the gravium 22.2 release um we have um yeah, improved the robustness of native image so that it no longer uh, or uh, yeah fails with an out of memory exception if you're running on a system with uh, restricted or yeah, memory resources. So lots of users run native image in Docker images and and they they use uh, two gigabytes uh, or provide two gigabytes, uh, which is uh, not that much. But now we can build something like Petlinic uh, on on a machine with only two gigabytes, which is kind of cool and that also means considering that github actions provides you with at least seven gigabytes i think on macOS it's actually 14 and you can build really big apps on github actions now which is really really cool yeah there was one challenge with the github actions but you you can this is like this is like how to call it flow by design and the flow by design is we have three different platforms and the you know the script or how to call it you know the um Variable substitution and and the syntax is different, so you have to know it in advance. Because on Windows, if you use the Windows action, some of the uh, variables then I did, wanted to do more, like you know, upload the the image somewhere and stuff like that. And uh, and and of course, you have to keep in mind that on Mac you are, you get the Mac syntax and on Linux the Linux syntax, and on uh, on on Windows the Windows syntax. So yeah, yeah. Um, well, there are some tricks. You can use uh, instead of PowerShell, use Bash uh, on Windows too, and then you can run your Bash yeah. and Sigwin, I guess. Um, the hello the the readme has a hello world that builds on all four platforms with the same command. So maybe uh, take another look. Um, there are some tricks that you can do with GitHub Actions to make this more compatible across different platforms. But if you have ideas yeah, sure. how to improve it, let us know. Right? No, no, this is not a criticism. This was more like if you start with um, GitHub Actions, right? So the expectation is okay. It runs somewhere on Linux. Which is not entirely true because uh, you get three processes which run on different operating systems, and this was not obvious for me. Well, not, I mean, not it, by default, right? You define where your job runs, right? Whether it runs on Linux, yeah. macOS, and but if you decide to go for metrics and run on three platforms at the same time, of yeah, course, exactly. You need to make sure that yeah, your your things are working 
on the on the right system in the right yeah you have, you have to think about this right yes you have to think yes. about it because yeah, yeah this is okay now now of course it's obvious because it's okay why you know uh, windows and linux uh, sorry mac and linux are running and windows fails it's impossible and then i say okay why because you cannot find the file so why not okay of course it runs on windows yeah. right so and when it. you yeah when you do this then you run into new problems because some things in in java are in fact uh, platform dependent and well at least implemented right awt and swing for instance come to mind and here you really like need to provide different configurations per platform and that is a bit uh, that's a bit tricky but it's also doable yeah sure you have to just to know it just to keep in mind yeah and um so back to the tooling so in, in the graal vm so what what is the killer use case or feature of, of the graal vm tooling for visual studio code or not even a killer feature maybe the listeners don't know about that so so why we should use it yeah um well the well, first of all, uh, the extension helps you to set up Gradium in your IDE, which is kind of nice to have. And uh, it also integrates with all the different uh, components that you can install. Um, I really, really like the debugging support, not only for uh, well, for Polyglot, um, well, you, but also even just for single languages. So for instance, uh, in Python, I guess uh, debugging is usually done through some sort of, well, I don't really know how Microsoft does debugging with a Python extension, but we can do debugging with the debug adapter protocol. Uh, and not, not just for Python, but also for all other languages like R and Ruby. And uh, these languages usually provide very different de debugging experiences, right? So by default, it's usually an interactive shell, like in Ruby on, on Python, the PDB. And that I very much like because you more or less get the same user experience for all different languages. So it not only looks the same, but it also behaves more or less the same. With more or less, I only mean like the difference is of course the language then, but it's not your tool. Your tool doesn't look different, right? And that I very much like. Um, also the ability to debug um, native executables from Gravi native image is, is really, really cool. Uh, so you, lots of people, are you building native executables now? But of course, when you deploy them, you still want to be able to debug them if a problem happens. And of course, uh, well, we can't guarantee that everything is 100% correct. After all, in your executable, there's a new garbage collector from, from Substrate VM and other components, and maybe there's issues in there too, right? So we need to be able to debug all of this. And uh, yeah, we can, we can answer that. We can do source level debugging. So you can see Java sources also, you're debugging a native executable, and that is really kind of neat. And we are uh, bringing that experience together with JetBrains to in IntelliJ very soon. Uh, it is already there in, under preview. And, uh, and uh, Red Hat is helping uh, a lot too uh, with extending the debugging functionalities in the first place. So I think, um, yeah, this is, uh, this is really good work and uh, yeah, de demonstrates what we can do with, uh, with native image even further. Mm -hmm. So we have the GraalVM extension, and then you mentioned the dashboard. Yes. The GraalVM dashboard. Yeah. What is the dashboard? Yeah, the, the GraalVM dashboard is this thing where you, uh, well, you run your native image build, and you provide an additional flag, um, like something with dashboard. Um, you can find it if you go to graalvm.org slash dashboard. And then you, you get additional files, depending on how what kind of flags you set. And then you can open these files on this website and it will show you a heap breakdown and um, a code breakdown in the points to Explorer. Um, these are supposed to help you find 
uh, like classes that are not supposed to be in your image or like really big objects that ended up in your image and bloat and, and have bloated that and also allow you to understand like how um, methods uh, calling each other ins inside of the binary. Uh, but like I said before, this uh, this tool still um, yeah has lots of potential to be improved and uh, we are actively working on that uh, in the in the background. I don't really know where this is where this is heading, but the, with the new build output, for instance, we are already answering some of these questions. Like you get these little breakdowns for code and image heap uh, right in your build output every time you run. You don't need to rerun and, and, and open this file. It also looks kind of weird because it looks like you're uploading the file, but it's really only happening on the client. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we're still experimenting, maybe making this a bit more of a public API so that the file format is well documented and then people can analyze their data in whatever way they want with like Jupyter Notebooks or RStudio or something. Uh, so we, we are looking into, into this as well. Um, right. Yeah. And then you mentioned the... Um reachability metadata right this was the project you mentioned yes this, this is the this is the new big thing that we announced as part of the uh, uh, 22.2 release uh, together with uh, spring uh, micronaut and the quarkus teams uh, we have uh, built this new metadata repository which you can find on on github under i think oracle slash gradium dash meta reachability dash metadata and exactly. um, well, usually you don't, as a user, you wouldn't really use that uh, or interact with that directly uh, unless you, you want to contribute something. But before we talk about like why you would want to contribute, let's say why you would want to, let's talk about why you would want to consume that and how you can consume that. And um, that's actually through our native build tools. So I already mentioned those, the, the Gradle and the Maven plugin. If you're using them to build our, to, to build uh, native executables with a native image, you can now set a new option in your either Gradle or Maven config that enables the use of this metadata repository. And that means when you build, um, Maven or Gradle will check your dependencies against the dependencies supported in this metadata repository. And then it will, if it finds a match, it will pull the config for you. And that means it will, with metadata, we really mean the configuration in terms of reflection, resources, and so forth that are sometimes missing when you're building native executables. So that means if we find something for, for you um, or the toolchain finds it for you, then the build will in include them and that makes more code just work with native image, right? And uh, we, we started with only a few uh, libraries, but I think really important ones like database connectors for MySQL or Postgres. So if you're using those or have been using those and they didn't work for you, try again, use the native build tools. They will pull uh, the, the stuff for the metadata for you from this repository behind the curtain. And then uh, your native image is, uh, or your native executables are likely going to work. And of course, in, well, if, if that's still not working because you're using some other dependency that is not yet well supported with native image, you can now also contribute your configuration files to that repository and then others will benefit from what you've done uh, too, right? So this is a great place for sharing meta metadata. Uh, I should say that this is intended to re retrofit uh, metadata for libraries that have already been published mm -hmm. and also to share configurations for libraries that are not supporting native image yet. But the best solution for uh, native image users is that 
the library or framework has first class support for native image itself. So Micronaut, Spring, and so forth, they're also providing uh, appropriate metadata um, from within their their jars. So um, you you don't need this metadata repository if you're using a library that is, if you will, yeah, supporting native image in a in a first class way. So that's the that's the best way that uh, yeah library and framework can, um, maintainers can do support native image within their framework. And then as an intermediate solution, we have this sharing ability now with this uh, reachability metadata repository. And the uh, yeah, and the last resort is that the user needs to provide configuration manually, uh, and we can support those users with the tracing agent. So um, you may have seen this tracing agent uh, on the Guardian website. I'm taking a look at the uh, reflect config JSON for Postgres. Mm -hmm. and this is not actually that bad. This is like 100 lines of uh, JSON and uh, there's this type reachable and there's not the PG connection, yes. for instance, from where. So this is actually, uh, yeah, um, interesting project. Sounds uh, really useful because um, right now we have Postgres, JLine, and H2, uh, uh, we have Tomcat. So oh, this reminds me, I don't know whether you're aware of it, there was in TypeScripts, how strongly typed, I think. De definitely typed. So it was a similar rep repository with different backgrounds. So yes. it was not like reachability, but they, they wanted to have, you know, the type annotations. Type for, annotations for JavaScript projects. In, in yeah, some exactly. way, this is very similar, but for a very different yeah. purpose, right? This is for yeah. well, helping developers um, yeah, use... JavaScript libraries in, from within TypeScript, and here we are uh, in, enriching, um, yeah, um, meta or collecting metadata that helps the reachability analysis. Right. The the pro the main problem are the the mechanisms, the dynamic mechanisms of Java, like reflection, that uh, that are extending reachability but are not uh, accessible or it's really hard to determine what's actually going on in, in using static analysis, which native image deploys, right? As part of this points to analysis. So yeah, it, it builds up this universe, builds up this world of the things that you really need. And then uh, that's also why the binaries, they turn out very, very small because it only includes what it's what it really needs to make your make up your Java application. But if you're using something reflect, reflectively, uh, in, in the worst case, you can even concatenate strings and then end up with a new class yeah. name. Then the there's no way the static analysis no, can can find this out. So you need to tell it this class is also reachable reflectively, or used by JNI, accessed by JNI, or is using uh, these resources uh, and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. The process of making the um, the output smaller is called in JavaScript uh, tree shaking. Mm -hmm. uh, as it, uh, you are also calling this tree shaking in in Gravium or? Um, well, uh, I I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure how tree shaking works, but I guess you start out with a tree and then you shake it and then you remove things that you don't need, right? But in yeah. in native image, we're actually tracing through your application and finding all possible code paths. So you don't end up with you don't start out with like a full tree. We are we are scanning through your code um, and and try to find the things that are really really only needed or reachable in that sense, and nothing else. So if you have a method that is not used, it will not be part of your application at all. And if the uh, and if the analysis has proven that a method is there and it's technically um, well, 
potentially it could be reachable, but as part of the application, it will never will be reachable, then maybe even the compiler can eliminate that. So we have different levels where we can optimize all of this, but yeah, we don't, I don't think we call it tree shaking, no. So there is no tree shaking required because you are following the references and you know exactly what yes. is needed. So yes. there is nothing to shake. Yeah, so it's it's more like right. a more like a garbage collector, right? We are trying to find everything, and we 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 make sure that we're not including the garbage in your binary. Hey, this is uh, not tree shaking. Just like smart fruits, right? So yeah. that you just say the fruits come to me yeah. and 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 it's over. Yeah, yeah. We essentially just mark your application and then yeah. compile it. Is there any tools we forgot to talk about which are interesting or would could be interesting to 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 our listeners? Um, well. Um, AWT is a thing uh, that comes up in native image a lot. It's not really a tool, but uh, yeah, people talk about that too, and we are hopefully improving that very soon. Um, AOT, AWT, you say, AWT support in uh, Linux and on macOS. It's already working quite well on on. Uh, what do you mean by AWT now? Because it is uh, abstract window toolkit. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, yeah, that's what I meant. But yeah, I'm, I was just thinking about stuff that that we are working on now in terms of tools um, that, that always shows up because well some tools have UIs right and we want to eventually yeah. use AWT uh, maybe at some mm -hmm. point too um, um, well one, one of the things that um, that we have already merged is you already know the build output but we are also providing going to provide an option that allows you to export what you see in the build output as a JSON file including a JSON schema. So this is considered at some point public API. Uh, so that means you can we, you can build other tools that consume this JSON, uh, for instance, that mm. allow you to track your numbers of reachable methods or the binary size of your executable, right? So one thing that, well, one thing is that you, you have a certain snapshot of your code base, you run the native image, and then you want to understand why is something inside. Right, and that can be potentially hard, and that's a thing that we're trying to do with this Gravium dashboard. But with this build output, you can track it over time as part of your of your uh, yeah, uh, Git uh, GitHub project, for instance, or GitHub uh, repository. Um, and then you would see, okay, I just updated uh, this third-party library, and all of a sudden my binary size exploded. And then you know like why this is happening as part of your process. So you can do like continuous native image build tracking, if you will, right? And uh, that is something that uh, this JSON output now enables, and I'm sure will provide some additional tooling on top of that. This is really useful because if you, it's a part of the CI/CD process, you know, yes. and uh, if you uh, on every commit you can track the differences, and if something goes wrong, you can see okay. I added this Maven dependency, and this caused you know this issue. So you can track down easier what's going on. This is I think really really yeah. useful. Yeah. So if you have a look at the uh, the public Slack and Gravium, there's now a discussion or not a discussion, but some post from the Quacos from our Quacos friends, and they are reporting that uh, they ran some of their Quacos benchmarks and realized, oh yeah, the the uh, robustness has improved indeed, and memory consumption has gone down even further in terms of native image. But they also have these cool graphs, and they're using this uh, JSON integration, I think, at some point too, uh, to, to, to build all of this. And we, we want to allow more users to take advantage of that and make it part of their uh, CI-CD pipelines, yes. Really interesting. Uh, all my projects are Quarkus right now. So, uh, yeah, Quarkus takes over the world. So it's getting more and more popular. It's interesting. yeah. yeah. 
Okay, perfect. It was really nice to talk with you. Where people can find you on the internet? Well, I guess I'm I'm on Twitter uh, most of the time too. Uh, my handle is at f Niepaus. So that's my first uh, the first character of my first name and my last name. But if you search for Fabio Gravium on Google, I'm sure you'll you'll find me. I'm also on on GitHub, of course. Uh, I'm on the public Slack, um, and I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, but yeah, primarily I. Yeah, hang out on Twitter, I guess. Okay, so so you are the Gravium Fabio. Yeah, fortunately, yeah. there's not more Fabios in the Gravium team. We do have lots of Christians, though. So. Okay. <laughs> so it was really fun to talk with you. Yeah, same here. Thanks for the invitation, Adam. Yeah, see you next time. Take care.